Lee Harvey, you are a madman. Okay, let's talk about all the events that we have coming up. First seminars will be in Wichita Falls on September the 11th through the 13th. Then Denver at Starting Strength Denver on October 16th through the 18th. And then finishing out our seminar schedule for the year, we'll be back in Wichita Falls December 11th through the 13th. For training camps coming up, we have our new self-sufficient lifter camp in Wichita Falls on August 15th. That's where you not only learn to do the lifts, but also how to film yourself and critique yourself for improvement. For squat and deadlift camps, we still have one spot left for Minneapolis on August 23rd at the time of this recording, and then some spots left in Moodus, Connecticut on September 19th. For our new three-lift camp coming up, we have a few spots left in Baltimore at 5x3 on July 19th. That's covering the press, the squat, and the deadlift. And then we'll have another three-lift camp on November 29th in Singapore at Hygiea Strength and Conditioning. On August 29th, we'll be in Denver for a coaching camp covering the squat. So if you're looking to become a starting strength coach or just get better at coaching the lifts, you might want to check that out. And then finally, rounding out our camp schedule will be in Chicago on September 12th for a nutrition camp at Chicago Strength and Conditioning. All of our starting strength gyms are open and operating where you can come in and train with a coach for less than 30 bucks a session. If you'd like more information on locations or to request a location near you, head over to locations.startingstrengthgyms.com. And as usual, for more information on any of the events that I mentioned, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet, ladies and gentlemen, starting Strength Radio. Well, welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. It's Friday, and uh, it's not Saturday. Friday. It's not Thursday. It's Friday. We're here on Friday. You see us? It's Friday. Got it? So, we're going to do some Q&A stuff today. Look at all this interesting shit laying on the table. But first, comments from the heaters. The heaters. Look, we don't have any comments from the haters today. You know why we don't have any comments from the haters? Because you stupid motherfuckers couldn't even write anything worthy of comments from the haters. Now, how far down the goddamn evolutionary ladder do you have to be before you can't come up with something like rips fit or rips dumb or rips not fit you know what was what was the problem with this there just wasn't anything that one guy kept writing in stupid shit and we didn't want to don't, and don't forget the claw hands don't the claw hand the lobster claw lobster claw what else? Nipples. 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 You, got, you guys got nothing. Why am I taking advice from a fat guy? Why, Why am I taking advice from a fat guy? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's stuff like that. You can't, you can't, it's easy to come up with comments from the haters. And yet, all we get this week is this lame ass 
you know, it's not even juvenile. It doesn't rise to the level of juvenile. So, uh, you know, we don't have any comments from the haters except to say that, you know, uh, what we got this week was bottom point zero 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 five percent. I mean, like the death rate from COVID, like <laughs> percent. You know, that's how that's how that's how shitty it was this week. So see what you can do next week. So we'll have something for comments uh, from, from the haters. Okay, now. I guess we've got uh, we got a bunch of stuff here we're going to read, and we're just going to kind of read it uh, quickly because I got so much of it. I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on 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 this. Here's the first one. Hey Rip, what are your thoughts on hitting the heavy bag and/or speed bag for general conditioning? Is it more or less effective than the prowler? So even the questions are stupid this week. Of course, this is from back in March. We're we're doing a little cleanup today. Doing a little cleanup. Uh, conditioning on the heavy. Look, how many times do I have to tell you guys? The Prowler is. Uh, what would the word be? Uh, scalable, right? And you know the the heavy bag. I guess you can hit it either harder or less hard. But what you know. That tears up your hands, makes a lot of noise. Uh, you're going to hit it wrong and break your scaphoid or something well, like that. To, you, you you know, there's all kind of reasons not to. And you have to decide to hit it harder. You got to got to decide to hit it harder. The prowler, yeah, the prowler is. The prowler, you either push it hard enough or it doesn't move. And, and it's hard whether you push it hard or not. Right. Prowler's hard. Prowler's the premier conditioning tool. You know, there's nothing any better than the prowler. So quit asking questions about it, all right? Uh, here's another stupid question. Do you have any programming tips on strength and conditioning training for martial arts? Oh, shit. That's certainly highly original, isn't it? <laughs> would there be any lifts you would add to a training regimen besides the big five? Well, I your wrist curls. You know, we leave wrist curls out of so many, you know, and they're so good for you. They're so important, wrist curls. Yes, add wrist curls to your to your squat, press, deadlift, bench press, and power clean, wrist curls. That's the only hole. Hip thrusts. Maybe we should add a segment of questions we've been asked a million times. You just read the question and slide it off. Right. We could do that. Questions asked a million times. Stupid fucking questions that have already been dealt with. Oh, God. You know, I, I need some coffee. Well, we got that sorted out, didn't we? And we've got damn near everything mastered. Dear Mark, I'm 58 years old, and I have just and I've been doing the starting strength workout three times a week for nine weeks now, and love it. Well, then you're doing it wrong. <laughs> if you love it, you should be bored, and you know, need variety, and you know. Want to add wrist curls. All right. One question I have is just what exactly is the difference between soreness that could be worked through at the next session and the kind that stays that says you probably haven't recovered enough yet? And what are some practical telltale signs of either one? 
I guess my question has more to do with being properly recovered enough to go on to the next workout. Thank you for your time. All right, Kevin, listen to me. Listen very carefully. All right. Soreness is the result of unadapted to eccentric loading. So when you when you go down in the squat, when you lower the squat, that's the part of the squat that makes you sore. All right. When you lower the bench press, that's the part of the bench press that makes you sore. Okay. Now, lowering the deadlift is done without a lot of resistance. So deadlifts don't really make you sore. And lowering your presses is not, does not, it involves a modicum of control because you don't want to hit yourself in the forehead with the bar. But the con, the, those two movements, the press and the deadlift, are primarily concentric work that we're looking for. Power clean also. Power clean is primarily concentric. So the two things that are going to make you sore are the bench and the squat. All right. Uh, you will, at some point in your training, always be a little sore when you train because uh, to wait until you are not sore to train again uh, misinterprets what soreness actually is. Soreness is an inflammatory response. It means that your muscles are healing up. If you wait till you're not sore again, then you are waiting essentially for a little bit of detraining to take place because we're trying to accumulate a strength adaptation. We're building five pounds on top of the five pounds you did last time. You may be a little sore when you do this. That's okay. There's no law that says you can't train when you're sore. All right? Uh, dear Mr. Ripto, in your opinion, what is an optimal body fat percentage range in order to gain strength and muscle mass? For example, in a 30-year-old male such as myself. Now, here's an example of a stupid question that is... Uh, Stupid because it asks for specificity when none is possible. Everybody's body fat level is different. Your genetics are not the same as everybody else's. Some people have very thin skin. Some people don't tend to store body fat. Sub-Q, some people do. Body fat percentage is highly variable. If you want me to tell you that 16.25% body fat is the optimal body fat percentage in order to gain strength and muscle mass. I can't do that. Anabolic circumstances, the circumstances that allow the production of muscle mass are necessary for an increase in strength. Those circumstances also uh, mitigate in the direction of the accumulation of some body fat. In other words, if you're going to take your squat from 135 to 405, you're going to gain a whole bunch of muscle mass, but you're also going to gain some body fat at the same time because the circumstances that permit the accumulation of muscle mass are also going to cause the accumulation of body fat. Now, the only exception to this is if a person starts off at 35, 40% body fat and starts training those types of people tend to lose body fat because the increase in muscle mass and the increase in activity that they encounter as they stop sitting on their 
dead fat ass tends to take body fat off. But a person of normal body composition that gets real strong is going to gain a whole bunch of muscle mass and a little bit of body fat at the same time. And that exact percentage varies with the individual. And we're getting through these pretty quick, aren't we? Aloha, Rip. Ah, that means he's in Hawaii. When he says mahalo here. How come people in Hawaii always want you to know they're in Hawaii? They always do that, you know. It's like masters guys always will say in the first paragraph, I'm 78 years old and blah, blah. They don't just ask you a question. They got to tell you who they are. Hawaiians are the same fucking way. Or vegans and crossfitters. Vegans and crossfitters. I'm a crossfitter. I'm a vegan crossfitter from Los Angeles. And doctors. 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 As a doctor, my opinion is of absolutely no value. (laughs) Aloha, Rip. What are your thoughts on massage guns like the Hypervolt or Theragun? I've seen them at many gyms as well as fitness conventions. I've tried a bunch, and they feel wonderful. But the huge price tag makes me question whether or not they're worth it. Look, if your only consideration for this kind of shit is if they feel wonderful, get a blowjob. Okay? Probably cheaper than these goddamn things. All right, dear Mark, you ought to be ashamed of yourself pouring Irish whiskey down the toilet. Well, that really bruised a lot of people, you know. I didn't realize that this is going to be revisited for the rest of the existence of our company. Did you? They don't realize how much shit we waste around here on a day-to-day basis. And this Irish whiskey thing just was too much. Just, yeah. You know, we'll get sandwiches delivered from Jimmy John's and look at them and say, you know, I'm really not hungry after all, and just throw it in the trash. We might do that three times a week. Fuck that sandwich. Just let me have the chips. Well, Jimmy John's chips are good, aren't they? Oh, shit, yeah. God, those Salt are the, those are the no, best no, chips on earth. I mean, say what you want to about the fact that they don't have a way to heat up the sandwich. Those chips are, my God, they're... It's, You've never had anything like that if you've never had a Jimmy John's chip. All right, anyway, your program is great. I am a cisgendered 38-year-old, 188-pound, 5'6 male. In about 17 sessions, I've gotten my bench to 208, squat to 230, deadlift 285, despite a setback from a stomach virus during this time. All right, you didn't have a stomach virus. You don't know how to cook. You poisoned yourself. There's no such thing as a stomach virus. You just don't you wash your pan every once in a while, and that won't happen again. My question to you is if you had any general observations or comments on smaller male lifters that you have noted in your time, advantages of shorter bar path travel, things like that. Well, uh, my observation is that at the world level in powerlifting, the height, the, the weight classes are essentially height classes, all right? Uh, for example, everybody at the Worlds in the 198-pound class, and I, and I say 198 because I can't keep track of all the, cha- they change the weight classes up every six or eight months, 
I don't know why, but they just like doing that. I guess they want new records or something. But in the 198-pound class uh, at the Worlds, uh, all the lifters in that class, most of them are 5'5", five, five, right? The 242s, those guys will be 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, 275s, they'll be, you know, six foot. Super heavyweights are the tall guys. Because when you're that strong, when you're strong enough to be lifting in the worlds, uh, you're going to weigh that much at that height. All right? Now, that having been said, the 198-pound class is much more likely to be able to deadlift, triple body weight, than the super guys. This is the, that, that, that curve, that diminishing returns curve in terms of body weight with respect to strength, is what has been embodied in the formulas that allow uh, best lifter awards to be made, all right? The bigger you are, the harder it's going to be to deadlift twice body weight, right? The shorter you are, the better the levers are going to be, the more likely you are to be able to deadlift three and a half times body weight. All the three and a half times body weight guys are 165s, 132s. So, you as a little sawed-off, little 5'6 guy <clears throat> at 188, uh, you need to try to get to 220. All right? You'll lift your biggest total at 220. All right? Uh, let's see. Dear Mr. Ripto, after listening to Silly Pediatricians number 39, I came across a paper that recommends increased skeletal loading, specifically during the adolescent growth period, as a way to prevent bone loss later in life. Sincerely, Brian Lovgen. And Brian attaches the PDF to this thing. He has some quotes from the paper. Uh, and uh, this is uh, a, uh, a thing that we have talked about several times. Uh, and this is what is wrong with pediatricians. Pediatricians don't seem to understand. I mean, they're they're particularly bad at understanding the simple nature of the stress recovery adaptation cycle. All right. Uh, like, for example, the standard deal where you know you don't let your kids lift weights; it'll stunt their growth. It'll fracture their growth plates. All the stupid shit pediatricians say about kids and advice that people have for kids. Do you have any idea right? where this growth place I have shit came from? No idea. Because I hear that all the time. I have Even no idea. Even people who are on, on board with lifting weights, they ask about the growth plate. You know, I, I don't know. Nick, I have absolutely no goddamn idea where that came from because if it were true, you'd see a whole bunch of people running around with one leg, That's right. you know, this much shorter than the other leg, one arm that much shorter than the other arm. Yep. And, and it just it doesn't happen. When a kid breaks a you know, tibia or something, it breaks at the growth plate, doesn't it? When a kid breaks a tibia, when a kid fractures a tibia, the growth plate fractures, yes, because that's the weak spot in the tibia. And guess what happens to the growth plate? It heals up. It heals, right. Just like everything else heals up. So how would we... Now, growth plate injuries might very well account for a lot of short leg, a lot of leg length discrepancies. But, with, when but we, it's never a two inch. But it's two never inch. two inches. No, it's always in the in the order of a centimeter or something like that. Okay. 
fine. I mean, it's just welcome to the planet, yep. you know. But uh, what this paper is talking about is is bone density. And why do you think that the great big white kids that play football for Nebraska are so good at that? Because they hauled hay while they were 12. That's right. They were loaded. They're big farm kids, and they've been doing heavy lifting since they were tall enough to be kicked out into the front yard. All right? If lifting weights hurts you, hauling, hauling hay hurts you too. And guess what hauling hay doesn't do? Doesn't hurt you. Picking up heavy stuff doesn't hurt you. We're, we, I mean, if picking up heavy stuff and doing heavy shit was bad for you, we wouldn't be here. Right. We would have been become extinct a long, long time ago. Our little delicate asses would not be around right now. That's why but, Nebraska produces football players and Iowa produces wrestlers. Yep, because these big kids. old fucking farm kids up there. And, uh, you know, because their parents aren't, you know, infested with this silly pediatrician bullshit where all kids are delicate and they're supposed to just sit in the chair till they're – Growth plates fuse when they're 25. <laughs> Can you imagine? That, does this mean that pediatricians are advised against kids playing football? They sure as hell don't. I don't think they do. No, I don't think they advise against that because they'd all be out of business. And they, they're you perfectly know. okay with letting them play soccer, which is the soccer. most dangerous thing that a kid can do. Soccer's just in fine. A lot of yeah. Little eight year old kids running. Head on into each other on the soccer field. That's fine, right? But squats below parallel <laughs> growth plates. Growth plates, stunt, stunted growth. They'll be, you know, they'll be that tall because they they lifted weights when they were kids. All of, you'll notice that all the all the kids we've had in the gym yeah, that lift weights have all immediately stopped growing. Have you noticed that? Like Chase. Yeah. When I started you know playing. Chase is only four foot three? It's the camera angles. Yeah, I mean, he, he was four foot three when he came in the gym when he was 12. Well, he's probably a little taller than that. What was he, 4'11? Five foot. But he stayed there. And he hadn't grown. Yeah. Hadn't grown at all. I, I've coached 12 year old kid. Yeah, I coached three kids. And in the year I've been coaching them, I went from being a full head taller to them, and they are all a head taller than me. Three kids. Well, they hadn't heard. You know, pediatricians, they haven't heard about the stunting of growth that pediatricians all seem to think occurs. Yeah. Oh, God, I've I've said this, but the most preposterous shit I've ever heard from medical professionals, and of all the preposterous bullshit that medical professionals say, the most preposterous bullshit I've ever heard has emitted from the mouth of a pediatrician. You people ought to be ashamed of yourself. If I was as bad at my job as you are, I would be homeless. I'd be starving to death. Snot would be running out of my nose as I stood in a doorway begging for food. God almighty, get some fucking perspective. Oh, shit. Yes, when you when your kids look when you, when the kids lift weights, 
when the kids lift weights. The subchondral aspect of the long bones densifies. The, the bones get denser and harder, and those changes tend to stay through adulthood. The most sturdy people as adults were the kids that did the things that required them to be sturdy when they were adolescents. Please keep this in mind. Let me, let me, su- let me suggest a book that maybe all of you pediatricians ought to read. It's called Skeletal Function and Form by Carter and Dupre. Skeletal Function and Form by Carter and Dupre. Learn your profession for the love of Christ. Hi! Must be doing something wrong? Should be deadlifting more than squat, shouldn't I? English not first language? You know, I don't mind if your English isn't your first language. We read shit from foreign people all the time, from aliens. You know, question validity is not predicated on your ability to communicate it effectively. But I, I think I understand what you're asking. Uh, all right, he says his deadlifts 370, squats 400, rack pulls 485. Uh, with these numbers, Frank, I think what you've got going here is probably an anthropometric problem, okay? The first thing we assume, without seeing video of anything, uh, when the squat is higher than the deadlift, is that your squat is uh, a way above parallel. Okay, that's what I assume. You're, in other words, your, your squat is artificially strong. It's not strong, it's a partial, because you can half squat a whole bunch of weight, right? Now, if that is not the case, if in fact you're squatting below parallel and your deadlift is still uh, uh, below the squat, then uh, what we tend to th- look for is anthropometric problems, okay? Short arms, long torso, little Vienna sausage-looking fingers. You know, things that that interfere with your ability to hang onto the bar or things that interfere with your ability to get into an efficient pulling position. The fact that your rack pull is at 485, and I don't know what rack pull you mean if you're still below the knee or what you're doing. Uh, Let's assume you know what you're talking about when you say a rack pull. Your rack pull is 485, your deadlift's 370. Yeah, that's probably, that's, I don't know, that indicates a probably pretty good back strength. I think maybe you've just got short arms. Where do you lock out your deadlift? If you lock out your deadlift on top of your nuts, then you've got short arms or a very long torso, one of the two. And there may not be anything you can do about that, all right? If it's real bad and you don't intend to go to a power meet, just strap your deadlifts and let's see if that helps. Okay. Hello, Rip. I'm curious whether you are a fan of the fiction of Robert E. Howard, a fellow West Texan writer and lifter with whom I imagine you'd share some personality traits. Uh, 
as far as I know, uh, Bob Howard was not a lifter. Um, he lived in, he was born in Peaster, which is uh, uh, down by Weatherford. And then the family moved to Cross Plains, which is out by, uh, oh, out in the direction of Abilene, San Angelo, out that way, out in West Texas. Not a big town. Coleman's pretty close there. Uh, be hard to find on a map. But uh, he wrote most famously the Conan, the Barbarian stories. Uh, his best writing was his historical fiction, though. And I've read essentially everything he's ever written and have been reading it since I was a kid. And I'm a big fan of Robert E. Howard. And uh, uh, I think that lifters ought to read Robert E. Howard. I think it's good for you to think like that. Yeah, according, about to, the, things. Um, according to the Internet, he was a, a weightlifter. He lifted was he? weights. He practiced boxing and wrestling. Well, I knew he boxed and wrestled, but I didn't know anything about the weightlifting, and I don't know that that's true. But, yeah, it didn't go into uh, in-depth. That's all it really said I, I don't know that that's true. He might have had a pair of dumbbells laying around. But he was not a competitive lifter. I do know that he was not a competitive lifter. But, uh, yeah, Robert E. Howard is a is a he is an excellent writer. Uh, a lot of movies have been made about Robert E. Howard, uh, from Robert E. Howard stories. The best one I have seen so far, by far the best one, is the movie uh, they made from the Solomon Kane stories. Uh, that guy's name was, uh, is that James Purifoy that was in that? I believe James Purifoy was Solomon Kane. That was an excellent movie. It's the best one. In other words, the most faithful to the source material that I have seen. All of the Conan movies have been a complete fucking disaster. You didn't like the uh, first Conan movie? No, nope, it was horrible. Mm, I love the, the first Conan with, movie. Yeah, it's a, you know, with, had I not been reading Conan all my life before that movie came out, I would have liked it, liked it a lot better. Yeah. But knowing the background material, no, they, look, Conan was, uh, a very specific character, as were a lot of Howard's uh, heroes. Uh, they all basically looked the same, except for Solomon Kane. They all basically looked the same. They were big men. They were 6'2", 245, black hair and blue eyes. Black hair and blue eyes over and over and over again because he was fascinated with Gaelic mm -hmm. people. And all of his heroes pretty much had the same, had the same physical appearance. And uh, I'm sorry, Arnold was not Conan. I think uh, to me, he yeah. well, he I was he I, was not Conan. I think because I saw it as a small child. Yeah, you did. I you saw it before it. you read any of the. Which is funny though, any, any of the stories. I even saw the second one as a small child, and I even thought the second one was fucking stupid. Yeah, the second one was is garbage. It, it was oh, oh, it was horrible. It was so, uh, you know, as as far as 
Howard's influence on the movies, I think if you'll look at, if watch Solomon Kane, I think you people that uh, have read Howard will like Solomon Kane. Uh, Rip, I have a co-worker who claims he has experienced significant increases in his squat by applying the John Bros method of maxing out on squats on a daily basis. This seems to me like an inappropriate approach to programming as it would not allow enough time to, for the stress recovery adaptation cycle to take place. You see any value to maxing out on squats daily for a brief period of time to promote strength progression, or is this approach complete nonsense? Well, that probably is something that an advanced lifter could benefit from, at least as an experiment. Uh, but we pretty much know what the best way to take somebody from a 115 squat to a 405 squat is already. We already know that. And uh, we, you know have written about it in several places, and I'd recommend that you buy the book, Starting Strength, Basic Barbell Training, Third Edition, and refer to the method that we have perfected in that. And the details uh, about the why and the how are explored more in depth in the, in the book called Practical Programming for Strength Training, Third Edition. Uh, I'd get those. And, uh, but if you want to max out every day for a while, after you've been lifting 10 years, go ahead and do it. Fine with me. Uh, all right. Near rip and the team and the team. Finally, some recognition for the three of you guys hanging around behind the camera. Thank you for your podcast and the work you've done over the years to promote strength as a healthy means of living one's life. Now, this is not just to me. This is to all of you. That's nice. I feel good right now. Good. I feel good. good. Brady, you feel good? Wonderful. Excellent. Excellent. My question is a general one. I have heard you say somewhere before that you see training in the evenings is more beneficial than training in the mornings. In an ideal world where the trainee can choose either time, what time would you recommend and why? I personally have found my preferences shift. When I was younger, I preferred evenings, and as I get older, mornings. You know, this actually has been uh, this actually has been studied not well because exercise science studies are never done well, but uh, I've seen some papers that that seem to think that the best time to train is late afternoon, early evening. All right. Now, late afternoon, early evening has, has been my preference, uh, for a long time. I just, I'm, I'm warmed up. I'm not trying to remember where the hell I am. You know, I'm no longer hung over. I'm awake and, you know, everything's moving around and everything. I'm not yet tired when I get sleepy. So I think the best time trains about six o'clock. You know, four thirty, five, six, you know, maybe seven or eight. Now I tend to train later than that now because I don't really care anymore. But 
if I were you and I cared, I think you'll like training late afternoon better than you'd like training in the morning. That having been said, if the only time you have to train is before work, then you just go ahead and get used to it. That's what you do. You get used to it. The best time to train is when you can train. But if you had your druthers, I think most people would probably rather train, but sometimes between 4.30 and 6. So that's my opinion anyway. Yeah, I tend to feel better when I train um, around 2 p.m., but Middle of the afternoon, yeah, early the scheduling, afternoon. Scheduling, I have to train at 7 a.m. and you know I'm a little more stiff, but I never yeah. miss a rep because of it. Well, you get used to it, I guess. You know these lunatics that get up at four o'clock to train. I, I'm, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I don't want to train that bad. I'm just not, <laughs> just not going to do it. <clears throat> My dearest Rip. I've used your books, programming, and app and podcast to entertain and help in my training. There, I have a few unrelated questions that I would value your opinion on. Your consideration on any one of these would be appreciated. So there's several questions here. Which one do you think I should address? The first one, the middle one, or the last one? I'd say middle. You think the middle one. All right, let me see if I can find it. Uh, okay, middle question is, what are your opinion on opinions on SARMS, S-A-R-M-S? I don't know what that is. Pro-hormones. Huh? He's talking about pro-hormones. SARMs. Mm-hmm. What's the acronym stand? I have no idea what SARMs is, but I, don't I know I know it's pro hormones as well. I don't even right. Just take steroids. Don't bother with pro hormones. It'll be more effective. Just take steroids are more effective. All right, dear Coach Ripitaw, I'm going on three years in a modified version of your program due to severe hamstring tightness that impeded my squat form. I needed to spend a year and a half on flexibility. <laughs> range of motion recovery, whatever the hell that means. He's 37, 6'3", 280, and he has a 310 deadlift and 320 low bar back squat, 280 bench press. I was wondering what your opinion is on swimming for cardio, swimming for cardio for athletes, actors that are training for strength and muscle size. Why do most trainers, coaches, act confused when I asked about swimming is cardio. Well, that's what, that's not why they're acting confused, Jeremy. They're acting confused because, uh, you spent a year and a half on your flexibility for your range of motion for your squat. All right. You're a fat guy. You're six, three, two eighty. Your belly is the problem. <laughs> your severe hamstring tightness. You don't have severe hamstring tightness. You can't get into a bottom of the squat because your thighs are in the way of your gut. I'm just, you know, guessing about that. That and the fact that you didn't really want to squat. That has quite a bit to do with it. Uh, look, here's, here's the situation, but flexibility and squatting. Okay, we have been doing our seminar now for 
14 years. For 14 years, we've been doing a seminar every month. And what we do on Saturday morning on that seminar is we have up to 30 people squat. Some of these people have never squatted before. Some of these people have been squatting incorrectly for a very long time. Some of these people are strong. Some of them are weak. Some of them uh, are coachable. Some of them are hard-headed motherfuckers. There's just a giant variety of people. But over the 16 years we have been doing this seminar, we have had a grand total of maybe five people, five people who couldn't get below parallel that morning on the squat. I mean, five people. One, two, three, four, and five is all we've had that have not been able to get below parallel. And four of them were like 80, right? It's a matter of weakness. It's not, and the ability to actually support yourself at the bottom of the range of motion for those people. For you, that's not the case. What we find is that when we adjust your stance and your knee position to accommodate a below parallel squat, guess what happens? Everybody gets below parallel. It's not got anything to do with hamstring tightness because the hamstrings, listen carefully, the hamstrings don't really change length during the squat. Now, if you want to dive into detail on that, get into the book. It's explained. Blue Book explains all this. I don't think you've read it. Uh, we don't have problems with below parallel and squat, and certainly we don't have problems because of flexibility. So that's not what the problem was. Okay, something else was the problem. Uh, and swimming is cardio. Look, if you want to swim, go ahead and swim. I don't care. It's not as good as the prowler. Didn't we already talk about the prowler as cardio earlier? Swimming is cardio. Here's one of the biggest problems. Swimming is cardio. It requires a pool. Or at least a lake. Right? Not handy for most people. Could be expensive. Prowler's cheap. Streets are everywhere. You know? Okay. Rip, enjoyed listening, podcast, gleaned loads, info, all thanks, everyone offered, deserved, spend time uh, speaking, leg drove on the bench press. Leg drove, D-R-A-H-V-E. This has crept into the popular culture that I pronounce the word as drove. Do you, I say drive like everybody else does. What drive? Leg drive. Hip drive. Why does everybody think I pronounce it drove? Do you know? Why, why would this be? And then he goes on to uh, uh, say, here's hoping you spot some grammatical errors in this message. Thanks for your time. Uh, where did the goddamn idea that I don't pronounce five and drive come from i mean how would you like for me to pronounce it five five, five. 
five. Are you doing your fives? How about driving your hips up out of the bottom? I don't, I, somebody please find a video or some kind of audio recording where I'm pronouncing drove. Because I don't, I don't, I don't pronounce it like that. But yet, here we sit with all this bullshit, you know, laboring through the delusion that I speak some language other than English. Okay? Now, I recently finished reading both Starting Strength and Practical Programming. Love them both. Begun novice linear progression. Recently, current stats are squat, 85 kilos. Bench, 55. Press, 40. Deadlift, 100. Age is 30. He's 184 centimeters tall. Find out what that means. All right. The current weight is 105 kilos. So he's 231. All right. So I still have quite a ways to go in my novice progression. Yes, you do. I'm also what you would consider a little fluffy around the middle. I was curious to hear your thoughts on my situation. I was told nine months ago that I tested positive for type 2 diabetes at an A1C of 7.2. Following months, I lost approximately 20 kilos, bringing me to my current weight of 105. Lost weight by cutting carbs, staying around 30 grams of carbs a day. Two months ago, A1C was retested at 5.7. Uh, this is no longer in diabetic range. I was wondering if you have any experience with diabetes and what your thoughts were on strength training's effect on the condition. Is there a member of your team I could reach out to to work with at all? He lives in Australia. Well, uh, I think you guys have email on Australia because – here it is that your man to get a hold of is Robert Santana. You said uh, 184 centimeters? Uh, yeah, 180. He's six foot tall. He's six foot, 184, and uh, 231. That's reasonable body weight for six foot. Uh, I mean, you've already, you've already demonstrated how to handle diabetes. Diabetes is a disease of carbohydrate metabolism. And it's very difficult to have a disease of carbohydrate metabolism if you radically reduce the amount of carbohydrate you're eating. Now, this is not the best case scenario for strength training, but if you're borderline diabetic, I would suggest that maybe uh, that is a bigger problem than uh, what than the effects that a, a low-carb diet would have on your training right now. Now, this won't always be the case, but you got your A1C back down to 5.7, and your body composition's improved like that, I think you're fine. You want to work with Santana? Give him a call. Reach him through our nutrition board at startingstrength.com. All right, dear Mark, <clears throat> I'm fat and weak. I can track whether I'm becoming less weak by how my lifts progress. I would also like an objective measure to track whether I'm becoming less fat. My thought is to use the scale until I get under a BMI of 30, then use a body fat test of some sort to get under 25%, and then just track the rate at which women and men, I suppose, are throwing themselves at me. Well, he's certainly open-minded. What would be a better thought process? 
here's a better thought process. What's your waste doing? This is not complicated. If you're a fat guy, you got a big belly. If your belly goes down, you're losing body fat. I don't think it needs to be any more complicated than that, but people certainly like to dork out on, you know, the numbers and shit. So, I mean, when you get to where you've exhausted your belt and you're at the last hole on your belt on the inside, then, you know, just I, that's a pretty good metric, best I can tell. I think uh, Santana would tell you the same thing. Okay. I was wondering if you had any tricks or tips for short-armed T-Rex deadlifts. My wingspan's a good three and a half inches shorter than my height, and I know I need to just get my hips and back altogether stronger to support the less optimal start position, but I'm just curious if there's any wisdom you can share. Okay. Well, and we touched on this earlier. I mean, if you've got a you've got a serious case of the short arms, you know, where your deadlift locks out north of your TT, I've actually seen that happen a couple of times. You know, guys like that just can't deadlift very well. Not everybody can do everything. I can't play in the NBA, and you're not going to be an 800 deadlifter, all right? What I would do is I would, you know, if it really honestly is that bigger problem, I'd have to see you pull off the floor. If your ass is above the level of your chest when you're in an actual correct setup, and this happens very seldom, honestly, then the thing to do is just a rack pull, pull off blocks, something like that. You're not going to be a power lifter anyway. It doesn't really matter. But let me reiterate. I see that very seldom. What I normally see is an incorrect uh, setup, incorrect coaching on the setup. So before I would actually recommend that you abandon the floor altogether, I'd have to see the way you're setting up. Okay. Mark, thank you so much for sharing your experience. Accelerated, light, dark, barbell train. My father is 285.59. He's a retiree. Lots of time on his hands. He's been going to the cardio room for roughly 10 hours a week. He asked me to show him some strength training movements. I took your advice. If your mom asks you to help her train, you drop everything and help her. I think I've said that before, and it applies to your dad, too. Yes. We've been able to progressively overload a safety squat bar, an inclined bench, and a barbell deadlift from the floor. Uh, he's unable to get on and off a flat bench without falling onto the floor. His shoulder, shoulder mobility is too poor to get the barbell safely on his back to squat. Is his cardio excessive or beneficial in the long run? Uh, should we be strength training and focusing on diet only for weight loss? Uh, I currently see benefit in his cardio as a short-term short means to an end. Lose weight to enable mobility for proper, for proper strength movements. Jacob, you don't lose weight from cardio. Nobody loses weight from cardio. Unless you're, you know, running 200 miles a week, 
you're not going to lose weight from cardio. Ten hours in the weight in the cardio room, I guess that's two hours a day. He goes five days a week, some insane shit like that. Well, has it worked? Has it worked? He's 285 and 5'9". Has it worked? When's it going to work? <laughs> I mean, that the numbers answer your question, don't they? It doesn't work. So, yeah, you need to tighten up his diet. Uh, probably all that shit's making him hungry. Probably eat a bunch of carbs when he gets home. That kind of shit. So, I, you know, it, it doesn't work. He needs to be working on his strength training. If he's got range of motion problems, they need to be addressed. But he's not addressing his, his uh, body composition with all his cardio. Because were it going to have worked, it already would have. Uh, hello, I recently discovered your videos featuring Tommy Suggs and was made aware you were trained by Suggs himself along with Bill Starr. In the BJJ community, gyms and instructors use their lineage as a selling point and to give legitimacy to the, to, uh, the instructors. And I was just wondering why you never mentioned that you were trained by some of the greatest and most influential American lifters of all time. I assume you feel like you don't need to, which is true, but it is a surprising fact, and it is a hell of a bragging point. Thanks, and uh, shout out to Rusty behind the camera. Keep up the good work. Hey, man, thanks. So, Rusty, thanks, David, for those kind remarks. Why don't I talk about Bill Starr and Tommy Suggs? Well, I have. But I'm not trying to sell you anything except what I know and what we do here. And what we, have, what we do here has developed far beyond anything those two fabulous guys ever taught me. You know, I picked up where they left off, and I've moved forward. I'm not going to sit here and, and, and make an ad hominem argument for what I do. Well, this obviously worse is what Star and Suggs did. Well, it's not what they did. What we do is not what they did. They taught me a bunch of stuff. But what I'm teaching you is a completely different thing than what they taught me. And I'm not going to sit here and ride the coattails of other people in order to sell another book. That's bullshit. People that do that are pussies. You know, and... Not only that, they'd be ashamed of me if I did that. So, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, hi, Rip. Been having trouble setting my lower back using a belt when deadlifting. <clears throat> With my warm-ups, I have no trouble. But when I use the belt on my working set, I cannot set my back. This is greatly limiting the amount of weight I can lift safely. Would not using the belt be better? Should I change the position of my belt on my body? He's using a three-inch Dominion strength belt. Uh, it, so it's probably not the width of the belt that's usually the problem in a situation like that. And if here's another problem. Your warm-ups, you have no trouble setting your back with the belt on, right? Or are you? do you mean your last warm-up is done without the belt, then you put on the belt for your warm-up, for your work set, and then you can't set your back. Uh, 
if that's the case, then what you need to do is start doing your last warm-up with your belt on so that you can practice setting your back with the belt on if that's actually the problem. Uh, I don't see how it could be, uh, but I don't know. How do you guys read that question? You think he's not using the belt on his warm-up? Yeah, it sounds to me like he's putting the belt on for his work set. And not his last warm-up. Yeah. you got to put the belt on. If you're having trouble with your belt, you need to practice uh, using the belt. That's what warm-ups are for. It's practicing the movements you're about to do heavy. You've got to learn to set your back with your belt on. And it takes practice, so that's what. And if they haven't, uh, if if they've never, if they're rounding their back because the belt is on, the belt's gonna have to come off for a while. Yeah. Right. It's gonna. They're gonna have to practice setting their back without the belt. If you don't know how to set your back flat with, with belt your on. belt on, you need to learn how to first set your back flat, which is probably gonna have to take place with the belt off. But then. You have to learn how to set your back flat with the belt on. One thing that um, has helped me with some clients is loosening the belt and then slowly tightening it. Whatever you need to do yeah. to accustom yourself, but it, what it boils down to is that you have not practiced setting the back flat in extension with the belt on. And that's what the warm-ups are for. Okay. Rip, I have a problem with my back. I have a ruptured S1 disc with a fragment which has damaged my S1 dermatome. That's the, uh, the dermatomes are the regions of the skin. Uh, it's sensory neurons, basically, that uh, where things get numb on the skin. All right. Also, ruptured L5 disc. I'm a career firefighter. I've struggled getting a proper recovery. Trying to look. At my life as an occupational athlete, I would like to begin your starting strength program. However, I'm concerned about deadlifting. What are your suggestions about deadlift and squats for a beat-up guy like me? He's 48, 6'2", and 250. I think you find, just like everyone else does, Jason, you find a weight you can do correctly with good form for a set of five. And then every time you deadlift, you go up five pounds. Now, even if you start with 135, this is how you're going to get stronger. And all of the structures that are loaded during that movement pattern adapt because you are stressing them. You allow them to recover. And the result of that is adaptation. That's the whole point of the whole process. There will be a weight that you can deadlift correctly that will not bother anything, and that weight can be added to slowly, and you can accumulate a strength adaptation. Now, that having been said, how many times have I said that today? <laughs> that having been said, uh, it may hurt, okay? One of the things that Guys my age, guys your age, people any age with back pain need to understand is that just because your back hurts doesn't mean that deadlifts are going to make it hurt worse. This is hard for most people to wrap their head around. 
you know, you, you think because your back hurts and because the deadlift uses your back, well, you can't deadlift. And that's not true. That's not true. Every week, all across the world, people with chronic low back pain start this program, you know, against the advice of their brilliant physicians. And these people with chronic low back pain approach the program with the squats and the deadlifts and the presses, all of which load the back, and find almost without exception that within three work weeks, within three weeks, the low back pain is gone. The low back pain they've had for years, that dull ache, it's gone. It goes away. When you load the structure and make the structure stronger, you know, and one way to think about it is like I always say, you got a bad back. You want a strong bad back or a weak bad back? You got a bad back. You know, people with scoliosis can't be fixed. What do you want? Scoliosis with a weak back or scoliosis with a strong back? Take your pick. You've been dealt a bad back. All humans have back pain. All of them. Everybody over the age of 30 has had back pain. That is the only universal human condition. Everybody, no matter where they live, no matter who they are, everyone, who is of sufficient age, has had back pain. The best way to deal with back pain is to get your back strong. So that's what you do. All right? Now, <clears throat> started lifting about two years ago at the age of 37. Starting weights were 135, bench, 165 squat, 185 deadlift. That's five, two years later. He's 39. And his one RM on the bench is 255, 375 on squat, 450 on deadlift. How long can I expect to continue making progress? As I approach my 40s, do I still have time to get a 400-pound bench, 600-pound squat, 700 deadlift in my lifetime? Or did I start too late? Uh, here's what we don't know. We don't know how tall you are, and we don't know what you weigh. I can't tell you a damn thing about your potential unless I have the information I need that lets me evaluate how far along you are in the process of achieving your potential. The lifts don't tell me anything. All right? If you're 5'5", 185, and you've got these numbers... That's one thing. If you're 6'5 and 185, that's a completely different situation now, isn't it? Okay, so you guys, when you ask questions like this, if you, if you do not include the whole context, the question is a waste of time. Big fan, followed your training for years, 45, 5, 9, 190. I pull, press, and squat four times a week. I was diagnosed type 2 diabetes at a young age. Strength training is the only way I keep it under control. I would encourage you to find uh, an endocrinologist who also strength trains and bring him or her on your podcast and enlighten others about this cure. 
Also, you're right about vegans. From zero until age 24, I was raised as a vegan. I recall as a child, I was given B12 shots because I was so anemic and couldn't keep good health. Despite the fact that veganism is so fucking healthy, right? Sounds like uh, abuse to me. It is. He's getting around to that. In my humble opinion, parents who raise their kids on a vegan diet practice borderline child abuse. It's not borderline child abuse. It's fucking child abuse, and that's why you had type 2. I attributed the metabolic disorders I'm currently suffering from to the metabolic torture I was subjected to in my childhood. That's, that's exactly correct, yes. Here is my current situation. I banged my knee on, a pla- on the bed frame many weeks ago. It hurt like a mofo for a long time, trained throughout this period. Since I have experienced knee pain when I squat, I limited my squats, 275, five sets of five, still deadlift, 315 for five for five for no problems. I trained at this squat weight for a little over a month. Now I can no longer now I no longer have any knee pain, but I seem to have lost the confidence to squat heavier weights. If I add a couple of quarters to the bar, my brain won't let me squat full depth. Yeah, it's a mental block. Uh, I think probably what you need to do, if the pain is gone, I think you need to wrap that knee and see if that doesn't change your perception of the way the knee feels during the during the squat. I try wrapping both knees, in fact, so you got symmetry. Uh, try that, see if that doesn't help your little brain. But yeah, you just got a, you got an aversion to it at this point. That has to be worked through. Has to be worked through. Summon the balls, in other words. All right. Uh, I tried doing power cleans, but I think I either have long forearms or short humor eye. I technically, I guess that's the plural of humorous, but uh, humorous is, I understand, humorous is, is awkward. Humor eyes awkward. Upper arms are just awkward fucking things, aren't they? You could have said upper arms. That's probably the best thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I lack triceps flexibility correctly, land the bar on my front delta with something light like 50K. Red power clean section of the starting strength. Red part about tricep flexibility, which said it could be difficult or impossible. Wrong anatomy. Had other form issues. So what does he do? Barbell rows. That's <laughs> 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 what everybody does. All right, let me ask you. Now, I, I hate to, you know, act like this is. You know, there's two things you do when you can't rack a clean, all right? First thing you do is widen your grip to artificially shorten the length of the forearm. The second thing you do is, for God's sake, make sure you're opening your hand when you rack the bar. You can't rack a clean in your fist, in your closed grip. You have to open the hand and let the bar roll back into the fingers on top of the deadlift. Without a video, I can't tell that, but without knowing whether those are the two things you're doing wrong, I have no idea. Okay, look. And I have here the last of the questions for the Q&A. 
I am 51 years old, pretty good shape, six foot, 195, up to 215. I think maybe he, maybe it's his range. He varies from 195 to 215. I ran but did not lift for over 10 years. A double hernia operation, and I was ready to start lifting again. Watched videos, bought the book, read parts I thought were important. Then I went back because all the all the shit in there that's not important, you shouldn't read it, obviously. And you're, and you're highly qualified. To yes, as the person who just first read through it the first time, of course, you're in a position to decide what's important and what's not. All right. Then I went back, read the whole thing after another of your videos. My novice linear progression has gone well, so he redeemed himself there. My five sets of three squat. Five sets of three. Oh, he must mean three sets of five squat, but he's written it backwards. Went from 185 to 295. Press went from 115 to 160. Bench from 175 to 235. Deadlift from two and a quarter to 315 in one year. Normally that happens in about four months. If you did the program correctly, like had read all the other parts that weren't important. Uh, I'm also doing my cleans three Three sets of five. Oh, now he means five sets of three. At 165, chin-ups, three sets of ten, and dips, which I didn't say anything about. That must have been one of the unimportant parts of the book uh, that I'd forgotten about. Three sets of ten with 45 pounds. That said, here's my problem. Job forces me to be at sea six months a year, 45 days on, 45 days off. Each time I come home, there's a big reset in my progression. My programming has remained pretty basic and like my and I like my gains. Just curious if you have any insight into how you can keep losses while at sea to a minimum. Well, take steroids. Didn't we already mention that? Steroids minimize losses. People are gonna think people are gonna think that I want them to take steroids if I say that though. You know. Uh Hair in my ear there, do you see it? Every once in a while, old people have to pull hairs out of their ears. <laughs> see there? Why it happened? Oh, it's just like a quarter inch right now. Uh, you ever get one? You, yep. You, 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 you ever get one that you hadn't been paying attention to and it's about three inches long? No, but I worry about that. Yeah, you gotta. Those are one of those things that, you know, I wake up in the middle of the night. When I wake up at 6 30 in the morning, I can't go to sleep again. I start doing this and, and I think to myself, you know, what if there was a three inch hair growing into my brain? From the outside of my ear down inside the damn thing. How would I ever know? That's what you got to worry you know? about. And, and, and did I, in fact, change the oil in the lawnmower this year? Not I, as I don't remember. Not as it's not as important as that, but that's what I, that's what I, yeah, sometimes I do think that, you know, you kind of start fishing around for the damn thing and kind of wonder if it's going to follow you back out. But anyway, uh, <laughs> well, back to the. Merchant Marine guy. All right, here's the deal. Here's the deal. You can't train at sea. If you can't train, you're going to lose some gains. I don't know. That's not my fault. You're the one who took the job, not me. You know, aside from the other problems with the question that we've already addressed, if that's the way you make your living, you just have to deal with it. 
you know, you're going to have a layoff half the time. It's not optimum, but it's what the job requires. So just do the best you can with the time you've got out of the bar. And that's all we've got today. Anybody want to talk about anything? You guys got anything important you want to address? Oh, do you know that Brent Carter's over 100 members now at Starting Strength Dallas? Those of you that are watching this recording in the far distant future, you know, when the sun is a red giant and he's engulfed all the inner planets and we've figured out some other way to be where you can watch this podcast, we'll probably have known that Starting Strength Dallas at that point has got 38,000 members. The entire population of that's left. That's left Dallas. of Dallas Fort Worth is a member of Starting Strength Dallas. Right now, it's only a hundred. Well, Starting Strength on the too. Starting Strength the Lunar. Yeah. Starting Strength the Lunar. Oh, they'll be squatting two thousand. <laughs> yeah, two thousand. They start. That's their start <laughs> of their day. LP with two thousand pounds. You know how many plates that takes? Or we could just make them out of depleted Plutonium. uranium. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we could make them out of depleted uranium, and they'd You're be real dense and shit. I think you probably, when you're training at Starting Strength Luna, you want to do it inside the, you yeah, know, the, the, the canopy yeah, inside the dome, so well, you've got air pressure. No, if, you, and shit. if you've got a suit on, you only get your your allotment of oxygen. Ah, yeah, yeah. But if you're in a facility, you're using up everybody's oxygen. Boy, they'd so be pissed off about make that, you go wouldn't they? <laughs> go outside. <laughs> Go outside the dome to lift. Let's see how tough you are. By God. Okay. Bree, you got anything? Here, poke her in the arm. Bree, you got anything? Bree wants to go eat pho, so let's wrap this up. Yeah, she wants to go eat. She bothers me to take her to lunch every day. Every day she says, Would you rip? Come on, let's go eat. And I say, Bree, get fucking lost, man. I'd don't even like you. Every day, Every day same conversation. <laughs> okay. See you next time on Starting Strength Radio. You be good. 